Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Rick Buecher. He's our old friend, and he's ESPN's NBA insider. He's going to join us to talk all things NBA. That's coming up in segment three. In segment four, Merritt Paulson. He's the owner of Shortstop LLC. He happens to own the AAA Portland Beavers Baseball Club, the Portland Timbers of the United Soccer League, and he's the newest owner as of this week of a major league soccer franchise. He's going to have a new team come 2011. Vancouver, British Columbia also added to the mix, as we told you on last week's show. That's coming up in segment four, Merritt Paulson. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by our producer, Bobby Corser, and by Nathan Roach. Guys, I went to Disneyland this week. I took my daughter down there. For the week, and uh, it was a fantastic experience to be able to see Disneyland through the eyes of a young person and meet Tinkerbell and Minnie Mouse and Mickey Mouse. But I got to tell you, I have several things that I would change about Disney. And, you know, Disney used to be known as the gold standard for customer service and excellence, and you never saw garbage anywhere on the premises. And it just didn't have the same level of customer service and excellence that it had when I last visited about 15 years ago. I have, that's a long time ago, but people around the country send their crews to Disney University for customer service training, so I was a little surprised that it had fallen off as much as it has. Well, I was going to ask you, but you just answered it. If, if the experience was different because you're older now, I think when we're younger, I mean, I went on my 18th birthday. It was the last time I was at Disneyland, and I had a great time. And I think as you get older, you might get a little more cynical about everything and be more aware of, of trash and disorganization. So I, I'm still hard-pressed to believe it, but uh, you were just there. Well, I mean, it's kind of like the airline industry and how the, the flight attendants just aren't happy to see you anymore and you know they give you a pillow and a blanket but they don't give you anything else and they don't have a smile on their face anymore they're not happy for your business and I just kind of got that feeling with the people I ran into at Disney and it was a little bit disappointing but nonetheless my daughter had a fantastic time so thus I had a great time favorite ride favorite ride Space Mountain still the fastest ride in the west and uh, very very good all right lots of headlines coming up this week the Pac-10 They've got a new commissioner. Who is it? Might surprise you. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. 
But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. This is Sports Business Radio. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, lots of people watching NCAA March Madness On Demand. Traffic was up for the first four days of the NCAA Division I Men's Basketball Championships. In total, there were 5.6 million unique visitors to the NCAA March Madness On Demand video player. That's a 60% increase over 2008 figures. Additionally, there have been 6.5 million total hours of video and audio consumed Thus far, that's a 71% increase over 2008 figures. Nathan, have you had a chance to get on and watch online? Oh, I have, and it's been great. Every year this gets better and better. The first year it was a little hairy because, you know, it wasn't working properly all the time. And I know it's a it's a matter of bandwidth, but boy, it was crystal clear the entire time, not one single hiccup when I watched it. The one thing I will say is I did get the iPhone application. Me too. And uh, the frustrating thing about it is it's really hit and miss with the Wi-Fi. And, you know, if you're sitting in your house and you have Wi-Fi there or you're in your office and there's Wi-Fi. But one of the things that I found difficult, I tried to access my video on demand on my iPhone at the Rose Garden Arena in Portland, Oregon during the first round of the NCAA basketball championship. And because they didn't want employees watching, they blocked the Wi-Fi. So... It's been a little bit tough. I'm sure if you're in the right spot, it looks great, but I was not able to watch on my iPhone, which was disappointing. Yeah, but it looks, it's so cool being able to watch this stuff live when it is working on your iPhone. I loved it. Our next headline, Sony Ericsson WTA Tour Chair and CEO Larry Scott. He's going to be the new commissioner of the Pac-10. So you go from women's tennis to being the commissioner of the Pac-10. Now, I haven't heard a lot about Larry Scott. People have called him uh, progressive. All I can tell you is this. Good riddance to Tom Hansen on July 1. I think he's been a stinky Pac-10 commissioner. I could give you a variety of examples why he's a stinky Pac-10 commissioner who doesn't stick up for his teams, whether it's in football or basketball seasons. But... Uh, it will be good to see him go and see some new energy into the position. Not to take anything away from tennis, because you know I'm a tennis guy, but this Pac-10 job is going to be a lot bigger than the WTA. I mean, you think? A, yeah, a lot more work. And you wouldn't think that, because the WTA is an international organization, but the Pac-10 is focused, and it, there's all different sports you got to take into consideration. Well, sure. and I mean, the Pac-10 does very well in basketball, and in football you've got you know USC and Arizona State and Arizona and the Oregon schools and, uh, you know, Washington schools will be back in the in the fold again at some point soon. So it is a huge job. And again, they need more of an advocate for the conference. Tom Hansen has not been that guy. Larry Scott hopefully will be the guy going forward if you're a Pac-10 fan. Our last headline of the week, new NFL Players Association Executive Director Demora Smith He'd like a discussion with the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell before it votes on a plan to increase the number of regular season games from 16 to 17 or 18. Commissioner Goodell would like to see less preseason games and more regular season games that count. I'm sure the owners would like to see that too, more money in their pockets. But I'm sure if that does happen... 
the Players Association is going to say, hold on a minute. If we're going to be playing more games that count, we want more money. Well, you have to you have to wonder how this might affect the potential work stoppage here in the next couple of years. Is this going to add to pressure, or is this going to help everyone? Well, it could help everyone, but it's definitely going to be one of those cases where, you know, it's like when your boss comes to you, Nathan, and says, I want you to do more work, but I'm not going to pay any more money to do it. The players and new Executive Director Demore Smith, they're not going to be on board for an increased number of games, even though they're essentially removing preseason games and making them regular season games. They're not going to be on board for that unless they're compensated. All right, coming up next, we're going to chat with Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. Lots of stuff going on in the NBA as far as the sports business side of things. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider, good friend of the show. Rick, thanks for taking time to join us on this week's edition of SBR. My pleasure. So, Rick, at the trading deadline, we saw a number of teams very active because their owners have lost a lot of money in real life. And they're trying to shed payroll. A lot of teams unsuccessful at making trades and shedding that payroll. Which teams do you think are going to be most active this offseason trying to still shed that payroll? I would fully expect that uh, the the New Orleans Hornets are going to go back to uh, the table and uh, the Phoenix Suns. Both teams contemplated making those moves at the trade deadline. Uh, New Orleans with... Uh, Tyson Chandler and the Phoenix Suns with either Shaquille O'Neal or Amari Stoudemire. Ultimately, uh, none of those deals happened. Uh, but the, 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 the real indicator is not going to be, as uh, GMs have told me, the real indicator is not necessarily past performance or what teams do in the playoffs, but where their season ticket renewals are. Hmm. And that is going to determine everything as far as which owners tell their GMs, "Hey, look, we we only uh, we, we only got seventy five percent of our of our season ticket renewals back. We have got to cut some some salary, especially with the salary cap anticipated uh, to go down, which will be we will know uh, for certain that it's going down uh, come July one when they when they finally crunch all the numbers and they know where the renewals are." Uh, they'll, they'll find out exactly where they are as far as the uh, salary cap is concerned. And you've got all these teams that 
anticipated that the uh, luxury tax threshold would be at, say, 60, uh, 71 million. If it is now at 68 or 69, that means that uh, teams that are at 71, rather than being flat and not having to pay additional, are now going to be on the hook for paying an additional $3 million in luxury tax. So for all those reasons, um, the, the season, season ticket renewals are going to play a big part in exactly what sort of uh, trade action we see this summer, which is just uh, mind-boggling because I don't know that, it's, uh, that the, the business aspect of this has ever been so stark. Let's talk about New Orleans for a moment. You and I have discussed the New Orleans situation in depth on this show ever since Hurricane Katrina. And I think we're on the same page with the fact that New Orleans wasn't a terrific NBA market before Katrina. Post-Katrina, it's even worse. And now you've got this agreement where if they don't average a certain number of attendants, they can opt out of their lease. Well, it looks like they're going to average the amount that they need to average to remain in New Orleans. But do you see any scenario where the Hornets may try and get out of New Orleans because it's just not working out there? Yeah, uh, no, no, no doubt about it. Uh, they, though, are not the first team on the list. Uh, Memphis is, is hemorrhaging money in a way that uh, it pales in comparison to uh, what's going on uh, in New Orleans. So there are a couple of other. Sacramento's another team. And the problem that all three of those teams have uh, is that uh, the, uh, the pool of buyers has dried up as a right. result of this economy, too. There's probably a half dozen people out there that were looking at uh, purchasing teams. Uh, Steve Ballmer in your, in your neck of the woods was, was one of them. And, and, and those guys, from what I'm told, are no longer interested in getting in the game at this point because uh, because their own finances are hurting and and because of the uncertainty. So uh, now teams are looking to potentially uh, change cities as opposed to uh, sell their franchise to to local ownership. And uh, New Orleans is certainly certainly in that boat. This this may be may distinguish them. The the thing that distinguishes them from Sacramento or Memphis, is they're not only in a terrible market demographically, but they also have one of the highest payrolls. They, they decided they were going to go for a championship. And, you know, it's, it's funny how this works now. It's a little bit like baseball where teams kind of size themselves up midway through the season, and if they don't have a shot, they suddenly are looking to go the other direction and, and, and pare down their, uh, their salary and their salary situation, and that's exactly what you saw uh, New Orleans doing. I mean, they they made a run at it last year. They thought they were gonna they were gonna be a legitimate title contender this year, and as soon as they got the sense, with like halfway through the season, that they weren't doing exactly what everybody expected, they were ready to pull the plug. And again, these are just extraordinary times because I've never seen a team that made a run that had a young group of talent and said, you know what, fiscally it just doesn't make sense that we're going to take another run at this. We're going to try to dump some money now. It's, it's an extraordinary time in the NBA. My guest is Rick Buecher. He's ESPN's NBA insider. Rick, so we talked about the pool of potential buyers has mm-hmm. shrunk, but let's talk about potential relocation cities. I mean, yep. you know, Las Vegas has been thrown out forever. I don't think that's a realistic city. Uh, Kansas City, I think, is high on the list. They've yep. got uh, an arena that's brand spanking new, just waiting for attendance. Yep. 
I, I still think that uh, Anaheim would make sense. People yep. say, you know, Orange County, a uh, lot of money down there, even yep. in this tough economy. Where else besides Anaheim and Kansas City might we see a team look to relocate to? Honestly, those are the two two cities at the top of the list. I, I don't know of anybody else that is legitimate on the level where you have an arena in place and uh, you have the demographics that say uh, you have a, 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 a enough corporations that sponsorship would uh, would be there, and uh, and then you just have uh, the per capita that uh, that means that you're you're going to have a fan base, you're going to have a fan base that's wealthy enough to to afford NBA tickets. I, I, to be honest with you, I Kansas City and uh, and Anaheim are the are the two cities uh, that I have heard, and I can't tell you of another one at this stage that has a legitimate shot of uh, of entering the conversation. Which would surprise some people because some people say, hey, maybe we'll see an NBA team move to Seattle. Yep. But like you just said, Seattle still doesn't have a venue. Yep. They've made no progress in building yep. a venue or coming up with a plan for a venue. The other problem that Anaheim has is, as I understand it, Rick, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they would have to pay, if, if a team gets moved to Anaheim, the owner would have to pay territory rights to the Clippers and the Lakers because they're roughly in the same territory. You don't have that obstacle in Kansas City. Thus, I put Kansas City at the top of my list. And how ironic would it be if we saw the Kings move back from Sacramento to Kansas City, which is where they came from yeah. before? That would be interesting. I, I would say as far as the Anaheim situation is concerned, uh, all, all these things are negotiable. And ultimately, if the health of the league is involved uh, and what the value of having a, uh, a team that's carrying its weight, um, especially as the team moves, uh, as, as, as much as the, uh, with the league moves toward revenue sharing, uh, it would behoove the Clippers and the Lakers to have the Sacramento Kings uh, or the Memphis Grizzlies making money as opposed to, to losing money. And so uh, I, I can see where uh, that the, either those, the, the, the price of moving there would be waived uh, or you know, a lot of it just depends on what David Stern wants. Um, all, all these rules um, are under his jurisdiction, and, and uh, with the control that he has over the owners, I could fully see him saying, hey, look, to, uh, to Donald Sterling and to Jerry Buss, uh, look, this is, this is for the betterment of all of us. And so uh, we're not going to stick a, uh, a franchise that is already hurting financially and forcing them to give up uh, even more money. It just it doesn't make fiscal sense. The one other thing, though, is, you know, from everything that I gather, uh, that, that the, what the, the league really is after is to expand their global market, and, and they are opening uh, offices. You know, while they're they're contracting as far as people in the front office and 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 uh, in the U.S., uh, they continue to open up offices in various countries and paying uh, paying sort of explorers and trailblazers to go over there and uh, establish relationships. Um, they're paying guys. You know, fifty grand just to go over and 
and sort of uh, on these goodwill tours uh, to to establish to to lay the groundwork to open these offices. That's a reflection of where they they see their financial growth being able to continue. And and David has said it before before the 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 market as far as the USA uh, is concerned is pretty much tapped out. I, I you know I don't know. Uh, how they can make significant gains in this market. But as far as expanding to India and Turkey and, uh, and China and, and creating a presence there, which means creating TV rights, which means creating uh, merchandise opportunities, that's where they see their ability to continue to expand their revenue. Rick, just a few minutes left. We've talked uh, ad nauseum about the summer of 2010 when – LeBron and D-Wade and Chris Bosh and company all become free agents. Do you see any advantage to these guys saying, look, I better lock up my money now today while I know these owners have money? I mean, you look at Dan Gilbert in Cleveland. His business is not going well. He's in the mortgage business. Is there any fear by any of these guys that money won't be there, that someone won't be able to sign them to a, a maximum deal, especially if you're looking at signing with your own team where it could be a difference of 20 to $30 million? Yeah, the, the only question, uh, honestly, uh, all those guys are going to command whatever salary cap space a particular team has. And so I honestly don't think that's an issue for them. The question they will have is, because the league is already discussing uh, a new uh, collective bargaining agreement, and, and there's a possibility that they could revise the terms of the existing one. Now, as in the past, the, the guys that are up for new deals have sort of been grandfathered in. But there is the possibility, the very real possibility, that uh, if that's not the case, that you could see... Uh, guys where now they're able to sign uh, a six-year deal, well, what if that's ratcheted down to four in the new collective bargaining agreement? Or that's one of the measures that the players uh, come to an agreement with. And, I, and for my money, uh, they would be, uh, I think, their best advantage is to negotiate now and say, we'll give you some things back right now if you don't kill us as far as what the long-term uh, – uh, terms are of the next deal. That's the only real leverage they have, and that's the one issue that LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh are going to have to weigh uh, as they go into 2010, or or uh, as they go into this summer and decide maybe maybe I should just re up now and and put that money in the bank. Rick, this is Nathan. Real quickly, we're going to put you on the spot. We had you on the show at the beginning of the season, yep. and you picked Kobe Bryant to be the MVP of this year. Are you sticking with that pick? And and what are some of maybe your other picks for Coach of the Year and Rookie of the Year? Uh, certainly, uh, certainly, uh, I'm going to stay with Kobe. Although he's uh, uh, from everything that I gather, um, he may have a tough time beating out uh, LeBron James at this stage. Uh, but I think it's going to be one-two between those two guys. Uh, Derrick Rose, far and away, is the is the rookie of the year. In my mind, it's not even close. And then, uh, you know, as for coach of the year, it uh, again, it's a little bit like MVP. It's the eye of the beholder. Uh, Eric Spolstra of the Miami Heat is certainly there. Uh, for my money, Rick Adelman 
uh, has to get consideration. Uh, Mike Brown has to be in the conversation, and uh, and Phil Jackson has to be in the conversation. That that I think Coach of the Year among all those awards is going to be the uh, the most difficult to determine because there are quite a few guys who have had a significant impact uh, uh, on their teams this season. Well, Rick, you're always a wealth of knowledge, and uh, we appreciate you taking time to join us on this week's show. My pleasure, Brian. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Merritt Paulson. He is the owner of the new Portland Major League Soccer franchise. He's also the owner of the Portland Timbers of the United Soccer League, as well as the AAA Baseball Portland Beavers. Merritt, thanks for joining us here on Sports Business Radio. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. So, Merritt, at what point did owning a Major League Soccer club become a goal of yours? Well, you know, it's something that I first entertained as long as, I'd say, five years ago. I mean, I was, as we've talked about in the past, looking at a variety of of deals in the industry, and I had a good conversation with Don Garber and Mark Abbott about an opportunity uh, around 2004. Uh, And so it's been on the radar screen for, for, for quite some time. And you know, in, in Portland uh, here, this is a very, very unique soccer market. I knew it coming in uh, after we did the deal with the Timbers and Beavers in 2007. And living it and breathing it every day, it became more and more apparent what a unique opportunity this was. And so, uh, you know, we're quite fortunate to, to get to the point we got to last week. And we got to execute now and make sure we finalize this deal. But, um, you know, this is a, this is a phenomenal soccer market and it's a soccer crazy region when you look at what's going on in Seattle and uh, in Vancouver as well. You know one of the most impressive things I think about Major League Soccer is the number of really solid owners that have decided to invest in the league from Anschutz Entertainment Group to Dave Checkett's boxer Oscar De La Hoya. What were some of the factors that attracted you to Major League Soccer to the point where, I mean, you had to walk a long path. There were a lot of obstacles for you to get Major League Soccer to Portland. What made you want to walk that long path? Variety of things. I mean, certainly the ownership group, I agree, is stellar, but it's the right model for this market. Uh, You know, it's it's certainly got a unique uh, cost uh, model that, that, 
you know, for a market our size um, with our level of, of private sector, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of, of healthy, small to mid-sized businesses here. We don't, as you know, have a lot of headquarter businesses or Fortune 500 companies, and that's certainly a factor when you look at the alternatives uh, for Portland, Oregon. And so, you know, I'd, I'd say that the business model is the right business model uh, for this this market. And, you know, I, I also have a tremendous regard for Don Garber and Mark and, and, and their team in New York, and I think they're doing the right things. They're thinking about this strategically, and, you know, they've got a great blueprint that they've adhered to uh, for the, the growth of the league. So, you know, there's a number of factors at play there, but uh, I, I'm a big believer at MLS. I think it's on a pretty uh, exceptional trajectory right now, and I expect that continue to continue going forward, and it will be great to be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the blueprint, as you call it, for being a Major League Soccer owner. Uh, one of the things that's impressive, obviously, is that the payrolls aren't out of control. You see the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA – get in trouble because they've got long-term guaranteed contracts. They're paying players an obscene amount of money. We don't have that in Major League Soccer outside of maybe David Beckham. So all things considered, what's an average team payroll like for a Major League Soccer club? And then I guess general operating expenses. If you own a Major League Soccer club, how much are you looking at annually with uh, operating expenses? Well, you know, I mean, the, the total payroll per team is in the neighborhood of, of $2 million. Uh, and, you know, you've got the player exception rule, which some teams uh, take advantage of and, and, and other teams sell. Uh, you know, it's, in a, it's a very reasonable operating uh, budget as well. Uh, you know, not nearly the level that you'd be looking at uh, at the NBA or uh, Major League Baseball and, and, you know, a number of the leagues you mentioned, certainly um, the NFL and the NBA do have some type of cap structure, The you know, in terms of players. Uh, MLB, obviously, you know, is, is, is particularly tough for, for smaller media markets. Um, but uh, no question about it, uh, MLS has been smart about how they've structured their costs. And, you know, with the growth of the league, uh you, you would definitely expect the costs and investment in the players' side to increase. They're just being smart about how they're doing it. But attracting some marquee star power is is a key mandate going forward. I think it's going to be necessary, and not just guys on the tail end of their career who are big names uh, abroad, but, but hopefully some younger players as well. So, I mean, if that's the case, then payroll's obviously going to go up if you're going to try and cherry-pick players from around the world, the best of the best, then payrolls are probably going to go up, right? Yeah, you'd expect it. I just think, you know, they're, they're, being, they're going to do it in a reasonable way um, with what the business can, uh, can absorb and what makes sense for the business. And I think that's, you know, what's exciting about the, the league, uh, among other things, is really the long-term vision um, that they've adhered to. And in sports across the board, there's a temptation to go for the you know, the, the quick buck, um, and, and owners understandably put a lot of pressures on, on commissioners, and I think that uh, Garber and, and his crew have done a good job managing for the long term. Now, franchise values, that's where owners make their money in, in most sports leagues. You know, the owners I've had on this show say you're lucky to break even or make a small profit every year. Franchise value is where you make your money. If you look at Major League Soccer, the franchise values have 
risen sharply over the last 10, 15 years. That's got to be enticing to you as an owner of a team in Major League Soccer now, right? Sure. I mean, this is a long-term play, um, and, and, and certainly there's not a lot of owners in sports across the board um, you know, who are making significant money off the bottom line. But it was important for us to have a viable going concern, a business that we felt that could be profitable. Um, and, and obviously, if you're investing in the league for the long term, uh, there's the assumption that franchise values will will go up. And, uh, you know, I think that's played out with MLS and it will continue to play out. My guest is Merritt Paulson. He's the owner of the new Portland Major League Soccer franchise. He also owns the Portland Timbers of the United Soccer League, as well as the AAA baseball Portland Beavers. He's a Harvard Business School graduate. Uh, Merritt, let's talk a little bit about expansion. You know, there aren't many leagues that are expanding, but Major League Soccer is expanding. We see the new Seattle team. Philadelphia is going to be on board in 2010. Do you have any concerns that maybe the league is being a little bit overzealous? I mean, obviously, it's worked out well for you because you've got a team here in Portland. But if you look at the league as a whole, do you think growing the league by this number is a, a good strategy? Well, I think you've got to get to a critical mass of teams. I mean, people, pundits will tell you, and critics of MLS will, will often point to TV ratings, Brian, and, and to date on a national basis. A lot of local teams in their local markets do quite well, but it's tough to generate national ratings when you've got 14 teams in the league. Uh, and, and I think that, that you need a critical mass of, you know, 20 or 22 teams long-term, and, and, and that's important. And I think as long as you go about expansion in a strategic way, um, you make sure you're in the right markets and, and, and markets where you're going to be averaging 15,000 or more uh, fans per game. You're getting great owners, which, which MLS has been uh, very successful uh, in attracting. Then, then I, I, I think it's, it's wise, and I, I, I do think that, that the vision is you know, not to go much beyond uh, uh, 22 teams. TV money and exposure, you just talked about TV a little bit. It's the lifeblood of any league. Uh, Major League Soccer has seen its game moved away from ESPN to the less-viewed ESPN2 recently. Do you have any concerns about the exposure for Major League Soccer and the money that each team would be able to generate via the national TV deal? I think ESPN is a committed uh, partner. That deal runs through 2014, I believe. And, you know, the, the whole game of the week strategy um, was a bit premature. Uh, I think they've got a lot more flexibility with, with the matchups right now. Um, and, and, you know, they're going to schedule this in a way that's going to help with ratings. And, again, I, I think the ratings, you look at what's going on with attendance um, uh, in, in the strong markets right now and how that's rising league-wide. Uh, and you look at, at, at how, you know, some of the local TV ratings are playing out. You're going to start to see that. Uh, translate into to stronger ratings uh, uh, nationally on TV. And, and, of course, you know, the same TV rating story applies for MLS as, as with every other league with the, you know, fragmentation of media and, um, you, you know, you're seeing lower ratings across the board. But, but um, that said, uh, you know, I, I, I'm convinced that, that TV will be there uh, for MLS and, and, and that'll be a strong uh, story uh, going forward. And do you get to negotiate your own local TV and uh, radio rights fees deals as well? Yes, yes, indeed. Seattle's been very successful doing that, and you know, frankly, right now we've got a, um, a fair amount of exposure just through our local deal with USL Soccer and AAA Baseball with FSN. 
and uh, you know, we've we just since announcing on on Friday, there's a lot of interest in. Uh, we've got some tremendous uh, local carriers uh, who have a lot of interest in in carrying MLS. All right, Merritt, there's been a ton of discussion about the deal in Portland because the city and the taxpayers didn't want to get into a situation where they were going to be on the hook should this deal go south at some point. Give our listeners the reasons why this is a terrific deal for the city of Portland and the people who live here. Yeah, I mean, what we heard loud and clear, I mean, certainly the optics of publicly financing a stadium deal in these challenging economic, economic times was something that was very much on the, the city's minds. Uh, the, the reality is we're creating jobs. Uh, this is very much an economic boost. Uh, investing in the city in tough times and in the future in tough times is, is, is more important than ever. And we were fortunate to have some city leaders that really understood that. Uh, you know, but but the, more so, uh, the really needed peace of mind uh, that on the downside, you know, in an apocalyptic type scenario where, where Major League Soccer went under, uh, you know, w- one of the, the bonding um, or one of the financing mechanisms was bonding off of, of rent that I'd be paying going forward and some user fees generated by ticket tax. Ticket tax. And, and so we stepped in and rather than using the general fund in Portland, which is typically uh, reserved for, for basic services, uh, we, we personally guaranteed that that money would be there for the life of the bond issue. It's a pr- pretty creative deal. I mean, I can't think of any other deals around the country where someone has stepped up and has done what you've done and, and literally put your skin into the game like you have. Um, gosh, I would think that the, the city would be pretty darn happy with uh, you stepping up like you have. And, and, you know, like you said, provides a number of jobs to the city of Portland when this is a pretty tough economy right now. Yeah, I mean, it's very much a partnership. There's certainly other examples where, where individuals have, have basically privately financed um, a, a significant portion of the deal, but but no question we stepped up. Um, we protected the city from risk, protected the taxpayers from risk, and that was important for us to do. All right, we've got just a few minutes left. Before moving to Portland and forming Shortstop LLC, you worked for the NBA League Office and HBO. What about those jobs prepared you for being a pro sports team owner? I mean, look, me and my friends sit around all the time and say, gosh, we'd love to own a sports team one day, but <laughs> Chances are I'll never get to own a team, and now you get to sit in that seat. And, you know, several years ago you worked under David Stern and, you know, some pretty creative people at HBO. What about those jobs prepared you to sit in the seat that you're sitting in right now? No question about it. Uh, you know, from the NBA standpoint, being able to observe David operate as a commissioner, um, I, I do believe he's one of the most truly gifted leaders and professionals across all industry, let alone sports, was terrific. Adam Silver, I worked even more closely with, um, and and so you know, having some really tremendous mentorship, um, you know, provided a, a you know significant um, advantage. And you know, I worked. You know, there there are a lot of direct applications uh, of my prior life, which which helped me. For instance, I mean, I was very involved at the NBA and doing the TV deals for NBA TV and managing the NBA league pass business and obviously coming in and, and you know, doing, doing TV deals um, uh, here in Portland, you know, that's extremely transferable. But, uh, 
you know, on the whole, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big change. Um, you know, and, and it was important for me to have a good foundation and in, in, in some terrific uh, brands and sports and entertainment and good operating experience. Um, and, and, you know, it was fortunate for me that, that, that the right opportunity arose when I, when I had a good deal of that under my belt. But, you know, it's been a steep learning curve as well, um, moving over into this new, new world. Uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a, a, a pretty terrific perspective to have in terms of, you know, you're running your business, but you're also uh, interfacing with the private sector leaders, the local, um, you know, business leaders, as well as the public sector. Uh, you know, a lot there's a sports is a unique business that way, and I'm tremendously fortunate um, to, to, to be in this position, and I remind myself of that every day. Well, I've got to give you a lot of credit. Uh, not many owners roll up their sleeves like you have done and enmesh themselves in the nonprofit community and the business community and get out and shake hands, get to know people. And since you've There's come not to a lot por- of owner operators in, in general in sports, right? That is true. So, I mean, you know, great job to you for getting out and seeing the value of those relationships. Because personally, if I may be so blunt, I don't think you get this major league soccer deal done unless you form those relationships. When you got to Portland. All right, last question for you. Speaking of advice from high places, your father is former <laughs> Secretary of the Treasury, Henry Paulson. He's my best source of advice. I was going to no, say. No, no, question, no question about that. And uh, he's been, a, a, you know, obviously the, he's been the enabler, you know, for, from a financial perspective, but, but he's also been my best source of advice. So. And now that he's not the Secretary of the Treasury anymore, maybe he might be able to take in some uh, Major League Soccer games now and again, right? Uh, we'll, we'll make him a believer. You know, he, he definitely comes from, from a, a baseball, basketball, football background, but he's really gotten into watching uh, soccer live, uh, as have I. So uh, no question, we'll, we'll, we'll get him out here for some games. Well, Merritt, congratulations again on all of your success, and I'm glad that we uh, finally were able to get you on uh, Sports Business Radio, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thanks a lot, Brian. appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the steakhouse, the best steakhouse anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be back with our final segment. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. U.S. Senate Subcommittee on Antitrust Competition Policy and Consumer Rights Chair Herb Cole and Ranking Member Orrin Hatch announced this week the committee's agenda for Congress's new session. 
including a hearing on the BCS. Nathan, I have been a big uh, opponent of the current BCS system, but we've got so many problems in our country right now, I don't think this needs to be a hearing in front of Congress. Yeah, and I don't even think that we need to have hearings about steroid use in baseball as of late, and now they're going to do something like this. This is one of the more ridiculous things in Congress I've heard in the last two to three years. Hatch plans to introduce legislation to rectify the situation, as he says. And again, you know, I know President Obama has had some thoughts on this, and I guess that's probably why this has been fast-tracked into a hearing. But I just think, again, we have so many other things going on in this world that we need to deal with that figuring out the BCS, it would be nice if it could be handled in some other fashion other than wasting everyone's time and money in front of Congress. Yeah, tell me why we need to even have this. What what was what is the sole purpose of trying to get it figured out so that we can have a playoff system and this is just such a waste. Well, I think it's basically Cole and Hatch grandstanding and, you know, taking a high profile issue and, you know, ESPN and CNN and several other networks will cover this. So, that's basically the reason I think this be, is being done. Who knows if anything will happen? You know, it'll be interesting to see who from the BCS and who from the NCAA shows up to testify and how they try and defend the current system and then also who comes and criticizes the system. So from that standpoint, I'll be entertained, but I don't think it's a good use of taxpayer money and, and Congress's time. Well, if they're going to do it, then I hope that they find some resolution for uh, not having a BCS anymore. All right, lots of thank yous on our show this week. Merritt Paulson, thanks to him for joining us. Rick Buecher from ESPN. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. If you've entered the NCAA pool for Sports Business Radio, Paul Swangard and John Lashway are leading the group heading into this weekend. Uh, go to sportsbusinessradio.com to our blog, and you can click on the latest standings. I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you next weekend. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.